Well, praise the Lord. It's good to be here, and uh, it is a blessing to preach, and to be able to be at Southwest Baptist Church is a blessing. I got to preach here several years ago, and uh, I was excited about the opportunity. I was really kind of feeling my oats. I get to preach at Southwest. I'm a young man. I'm excited. And uh, Brother, Brother Sam was kind of legendary for knowing people's names and, and remembering every detail about them. So he introduced me, and he goes, and now Eddie Sutton's going to come preach for us. <laughs> And his wife is down on the front row. Miss Sandy's waving at him. And he goes, hold on, Brother Park. My wife's trying to tell me something. What I, what I do wrong? He goes, his name's not Eddie Sutton. And he goes, oh, his name's not Eddie Sutton. And then he goes, uh, it's Robbie Sutton. Robbie Sutton's going to come preach for us. And she's waving at him again. And he goes, hold on. What, woman? And he goes, he's not Robbie Sutton. He goes, I don't care who he is at this point. Just preach. <laughs> and so uh, that was the sound of my ego deflating that the preacher didn't even know. Praise the Lord. God's good. Take your Bibles tonight, if you would, and turn to the book of Jeremiah in chapter number 8. Book of Jeremiah, chapter number 8. We're going to begin reading in verse number 18 tonight. And uh, we are actually going to be preaching out of Jeremiah chapter 9. But by way of explanation, we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 8, the end, the conclusion of Jeremiah chapter 8. And as we try to set the stage for where I believe the Lord would have for us tonight. In Jeremiah chapter 8, and we'll begin reading in verse number 18. Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse number 18. When I would comfort myself against sorrow, my heart is faint in me. Behold, the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people, because of them that dwell in a far country, is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their graven images and with their strange vanities? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. I am black. Astonishment hath taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? The title of our message tonight would be this. The temptations of the faithful, the temptations of the faithful. Lord, we are excited to be in your house tonight and, and thankful to be able to do so again. Lord, it was just uh, not that long ago, our opportunity to assemble together was threatened and, and, and in peril. And so Lord, uh, I pray that we would never again take it for granted that we get to come together and worship and sing praise and Lord, hear wonderful songs of, about the city of refuge and and Lord, how, how good you've already been to us time and time again. Lord, we ask tonight you'd be with Brother Prater as he preaches and uh, over at the campus and my own children. Lord, sitting there, uh, young people from our church. And I pray, Lord, you'd speak to their hearts. And, and, and Lord, the, the, literally the thousand other kids that are there, young people, you'd speak to them. Bless Brother Murphy, Lord, as he preaches in my absence back home tonight. And I'm thankful you're a big enough God. You can do all that and then some. Lord, would you help us tonight as we look at the scriptures? May we see ourselves in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I know your young people a whole lot better and, uh, uh, than I know most of you in the room. I've got the opportunity to preach at Indian Creek a few times and, and have been around your kids. And uh, thank you for that, by the way. I don't take that lightly or for granted. But you don't know me very well, and so I, I thought I'd tell you some things about myself. Today, I have not been tempted to, to kill anyone. Not at all. I mean, not, not even a little. There's not been a single person I have wanted to kill 
today. I've been away from my church, so it's been a little easier. <laughs> I've not been tempted today to rob a bank. I've not been tempted today to lie. I've not been tempted today to sort of throw it all away and go live a, a party lifestyle. I've not been tempted at any of those things. But there are, there are temptations that are present in my life. I'm going to guess if you're in church in the middle of the summer on a Wednesday night, you're part of what would be deemed the faithful of Southwest Baptist Church. And every pastor is thankful for the faithful people. You are a blessing to your pastor in a way that cannot be described. There's no way to, 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 to account for that. There's no way to make up for that in your absence. Jeremiah is a man of God, and he, sometimes we hold men of God, in particular men in the Bible, men of God in the Bible up to this, this high pedestal that, that, they, that they're never tempted, that, that because there's no major sin recorded in their lives, that, that, there's, that there's not temptations and problems. But the Bible says there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. The Bible says every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. And, and so I'd like to look tonight at Jeremiah and some things that, that he said were a temptation to him him in his service for the Lord. By the time we get to Jeremiah chapter 8, he has been, if you'll forgive the expression, he's been preaching his guts out. He's been doing his very, very best to convince the nation of Judah to come back to God, to come back into a, a walking and a, and, a, and a personal relationship with God. And he's trying his best to show them that they're sinners and, and that they have a need of a Savior and that they need to, to turn from their complacency because all the while they were in sin and doing things wrong, they were also still going to temple. They were still going through the motions. They were still trying to convince themselves that they are okay. And he's doing everything that he can. He has wept over them. He has preached hard to them. He has done everything from a pastoral standpoint that he could possibly do to try to convince them to come back to God. And to this point in time in our text, to no avail. No one has listened. No one has recanted. No one has repented. There is no outward evidence that his work, his effort has accomplished anything. And so in chapter number 8, beginning in verse number 18, he gets introspective, if you will, rather than talking about what he said to the nation of Judah and what he's preached to them, he begins to look inwardly and he begins to, to sort of admit and, and acknowledge his own condition and his own place. Sometimes it can be a temptation of the faithful, not part of the message tonight, but it can be a temptation of the faithful to be so outwardly focused on how others are doing that we lose track of where we are spiritually. So he begins to examine himself. Notice in verse 18, he said, when I would comfort myself against sorrow, my heart is faint within me. We could just summarize verse 18 this way. Jeremiah goes, I'm tired. I'm tired. I, I've longed for these people. I've loved these people. I've tried, I've tried to help these people and, and I'm trying to comfort myself in my sorrow, but my heart is faint within me. Listen to me tonight. If you've, got a, if you've got a prodigal that's gone away, if you've got a son or daughter that's not serving God, if you've got a co-worker that you're brokenhearted over and, and their walk with the Lord, you've got a former member of this church that you'd love to see come back and you pray for them and you weep for them and you invest in them. No, no, it can be heart-wrenching. It can be heartbreaking. And it can be fatiguing when they don't come back, when they don't serve the Lord. The Bible says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. If there's no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth, there can be no greater sorrow than to know that your children aren't. Jeremiah goes, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just tired. Verse 19, behold the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people because of them that dwell in a far country. It's not the Lord in Zion. Is not our king and her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their graven images and with their strange vanities? Jeremiah goes, why are they doing wrong? 
Why would they substitute uh, uh, strange vanities? Why would they, why would they leave God behind for, for these things over here? I, I don't understand it. Listen, as a pastor and I look at people who've left church, as a, as a, as a former youth pastor, I look at teenagers who've made wrong decisions, I am blown away. Why would they trade the goodness of God? Why would they trade the city of refuge for the city of refuse as they turn their back on God? I don't understand that, God. I, I don't understand that. Now remember, this is Jeremiah preaching here. It's Jeremiah conversing and, and God records his conversation with God. He goes, I don't understand this, Lord. I, I just don't understand this. Verse 21, just summarizing as we're, we're not even to the message yet. We're going to preach chapter 9. We're just background. For the hurt of the daughter of my people, am I hurt? Pastor, it hurts. I want to see him saved. I, I want to see him come back. I, I want to see him do right. Pastor, it, it, it hurts. Verse 22, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? And of course, there is a balm in Gilead. And there is a great physician there. Why then, he asked, is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? Earlier he asked, why are they doing wrong? Here he asked, why, why won't they do right? Why, why won't they come back? God, what's, what's the roadblock? What's the, what's the problem here? Why, why won't they come back? And so I just want us to understand his mindset approaching chapter 9 is that he is heartbroken over the fact that he has, he has spent his life, he has spent himself, he has done everything that he can to try to draw the nation of Judah back, including family members of his and people that he loves to try to come back and serve God, and no one is listening to him. Chapter number nine, verse number one. One of the hardest things to deal with as a believer is when the people you love will not obey God. Let me repeat that tonight. One of the hardest things to deal with as a believer is when the people you love won't obey God. Chapter nine, verse number one. Here we get into the temptations of the faithful tonight. Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. He said, I'm tempted tonight to weep over that which cannot be changed. I am tempted to weep over that which cannot be changed. Now, let me just explain. It is proper and right that we weep over that which can be changed. It is proper and right tonight to weep over that which, which can be changed. Your son or daughter is, is in the far country. Your grandchildren aren't serving the Lord. They're not saved yet. It is proper and right that we weep over that. It's proper and right that we pray over that. It's proper and right that we be heartbroken over that. No, no, that's, that's well and good because there's still hope there. There's still a chance there because there is a balm in Gilead, because there is a physician there. There is still hope because God still lives and Jesus still saves. And you have no idea what God can do in bringing them back. You go over the park, I don't think they'll ever come back. No, no, that's a different temptation. That's a different sin. That's a different problem altogether because as long as they are breathing and Jesus is still on the throne, there is still hope. There is still hope. But notice, the, this is why it's important what version of the Bible you read. He says, oh, that my head were waters of, uh, oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears that I may weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. What good does it do to weep day and night for people who are already gone? If they're already slain, if they're already dead, they cannot come back. One of the temptations of the faithful of the Wednesday night crowd is we beat ourselves up over that which cannot be changed. Over that which has already happened in the past that cannot be undone, it, it cannot be altered. 
No, tonight I might be talking to some moms and dads, and you know 20 years ago you messed up in the rearing of your children. You know that you, you didn't do everything right. You would, give, you would give worlds to go back in time and, and redo the, the influential years in your kid's life. I'm here to tell you tonight, you cannot do that. There is no time machine. There is no going back. And it's wrong, though, tonight. It's tempting tonight to continue to beat yourself up over something that was done 20 years ago that you cannot change, you cannot alter, you cannot make a single difference about. It. And instead of listening and living in victory and joy today and over what God still could do in the lives of other people, you're heartbroken over what was and what cannot be changed. My dad got saved as a drunk. My dad was 21 years of age when he got saved out of a, out of a life of sin and alcohol. And, and not long after he got saved, he began to witness to, to my grandfather. I never met my grandfather. He died before I was born. And, and uh, uh, my dad got to, he said, I, he said, I witnessed to him two times, kind of. And he said, one time I just started witnessing to him. I was crying so much. He said, son, if it's that important, let's sit down and talk about it. He said, for about 45 minutes, he got to give him the whole gospel and the plan of salvation. And he said, my, my grandfather did not get saved at that time. I go, Dad, how do you live? How do you live knowing if Grandpa got saved or not? How do you live knowing that Grandpa, there's a good chance he's, he's in hell tonight? He goes, Park, you're worried about Grandpa. He's already gone. I'm worried about his grandkids. I'm worried about his great-grandkids. I'm worried about those that are still living and there's still hope. And if you're burdened tonight by something that can't be changed, it's one of the great temptations of the devil that affected even Jeremiah the prophet, the man of God, to try to get him from accomplishing all that God would have for him in his life and to discourage him is weeping over that which cannot be changed. Maybe you've got some debilitating sin in your past. And listen, I'm not, here to, I'm not here to make light of sin at all. What should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid how that we are dead to sin live any longer therein. You know, we're not, we're not just dismissing sin tonight. But listen, if you've already confessed it to God, you've already forsaken it, you've already experienced God's mercy, you've already apologized to your kids or whoever it was you did in the wrong, then you don't have to walk around beating yourself up and flogging yourself over a sin that you committed years ago that's already under the blood. And you talk to God about it and God goes, I don't even remember that anymore. That's already been taken care of. That's way back there in the past. Amen. Jeremiah was tempted. He says, I'm, I'm burdened to weep. I'm burdened to cry. I'm burdened to, to weigh myself down over that which cannot even be changed because they're already slain. They're already gone. Number two temptation tonight. Oh, that I had in the wilderness, verse two, oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men that I might leave my people and go from them for they be all adulterers in assembly of treacherous men. First temptation to cry over that which cannot be changed. Second temptation is just to run away. Just to run away. So I have, my dad is the second oldest of seven. My mom is the youngest of 16. One mom, one dad, 16 kids. They didn't even get a television show out of it. I don't know how that, how that worked. I have, I have cousins and aunts and uncles and second cousins that I have never met before. Uh, honest to goodness, a couple years ago, my son and I were, were hunting in, in northwestern Colorado, and uh, we went into a gas station, we were walking around, and this lady behind the counter goes, you're Park Sutton, aren't you? And in my pride, I go, oh yes, did I preach your youth camp or something? She goes, no, I think we're second cousins. And indeed, it was my second cousin working this gas station, and anyhow. A lot of my family isn't serving the Lord. And you witness to them and you pray for them and you cry for them. Right, right. And they don't listen and they don't change. 
One of the temptations then that comes into our mind is, fine, then I will just avoid you. I will stay away from you. I will recoil back from you. Oh, that I had a place, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wafering men, that I might leave my people and go from them, for they be all adulterous, they be all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. He said, I, I just, sometimes I just feel like running away. Sometimes I, just, I just don't want to deal with it anymore. I, I, I'm tired. I'm so tired of, of, of making sure my word, I feel like every time I make a statement around them, they're parsing my words and looking for some way to catch me in something. And I, I'm just so exhausted about being around that. And I, I'm so, I, I just so, I don't want to deal with my kids and have to explain to my kids why their aunt and uncle behave that way. I, 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 I'm so, it's, it's just so frustrating. They, they know better than that. And I, and I, and I just, I, I hate that I, I have to bite my tongue and not say everything that needs to be said or that I, that I at least want to say. And, and you know what? It's just easier just to stay away from my family. It's just easier to not be around those people. And, and you see somebody who left Southwest Baptist Church and, and you see them at Walmart and you go, no, no, I, I remember the hurt that they caused. And I, I remember the lies that they told. And, and I remember the things that I did for them and they just walked out. No, no, I'd rather just stay away from them. I'd rather just not deal with it anymore. Now hear me. We're talking about Jeremiah, the man of God, who's going, I am tempted to just stay away from them because I'd rather not deal with them. Mm. You well, Park, you don't feel that way, do you? I'd like to revert back to the previous list of sins I don't have a problem with. <laughs> but pastor, they, they hurt me. Yeah. I know. Pastor, it hurts seeing them like that. I know. My challenge to you would be, how are they ever going to change if the people who are doing right in their life just avoid them? You know, if you're the only one that speaks truth into their life, you're the only one that proclaims Bible into their life, you're the only one that lives Christ in their life, and you vacate yourself, you extricate yourself from their life, what chance do they have of change? Now, don't get me wrong. We've got to spend time with them in a way so as to affect them, not the other way around. I understand we have to draw lines. There's a balance. There's a ditch on both sides of the road there. Sure. Have you maybe let's shift from the family to more of a nationalistic or a, 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 an America type thing? Have you in the last six months, we'll just randomly pick six months, not like anything major happened six months ago. Have you just kind of fought the temptation to just, you know, forget this, I'm going to go live up in the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to go get a cabin in the woods and, yeah. and uh, my family's going to live there and we'll hunt off the land and we'll shoot possum, whatever we got to do. We'll, we'll, we'll live out and, and America can just stay away from me. We're going to cut off social media, shut off the television, not get the newspaper, not have anything to do with the world. The world can go jump in a lake and, and we're going to literally go jump in a lake. We're going to stay away from the world. There's a temptation to do that. But that'll never change the society around us. That'll never change the souls that need Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, you can't quit. You can't just run. Number one, to weep over that which cannot be changed. Number two, simply to run. Number three, to believe the lies. Number three, to believe the lies. Notice as we begin in verse number three, we'll read several verses here. And they bend, they bend their tongues like their bows for lies. 
They are not valiant for the truth upon the earth, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, saith the Lord. Take ye heed every one of his neighbor, and trust ye not in any brother, for every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk in slanders, and they will deceive every one his neighbor, and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongues to speak lies, and weary themselves to commit iniquities. Uh, iniquity. Thine habitation is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know me, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will melt them and try them, for how shall I do for the daughter of my people? Their tongue is an arrow shot out. It speaketh deceit. One speaketh peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in heart he layeth, he layeth his weight. Over and over again, he, means, he mentions they don't speak truth. They, they speak deceit. They're, they're not truthful. They, they, speak, they speak deceit. Here's why. He's reminding himself that the reason the nation of Judah is where they are is because they have believed and followed lies. He's reminding himself that because he's tempted because he loves them to start buying into the lies that they've bought into. This is probably one of the most pressing tonight or one of the most uh, repeated in my experience that happens. You see, it's hard, it's hard to not believe the lie or make an excuse when it's your son or daughter that's doing the wrong. Okay, we're getting some odd looks. So let's, let's go back in time to when your son or daughter was, was eight or, or 10 years old, somewhere in that ballpark. And they got in trouble at church. There was a very good chance the reason they got in trouble in church was because they were spending time with the preacher's kids. If not the preacher's kids, then the deacon's kids. If not the deacon's kids, then the staff kids. Because those are the worst kids in church. Everyone's afraid to say amen. They're just, they're just staring at me. They're like, yep, yeah, that's, that's okay. Yep, mm, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. No looking back, who set fire to the, okay, no, that's another story. Your kid gets in trouble and you go, well, yeah, Johnny got in trouble. My son got in trouble. But if it wasn't for that other kid, if it wasn't for that girl, if it wasn't for that certain situation and circumstance, if the youth pastor would have kept a closer eye, if the, no, 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 no. The bottom line is your kid messed up. And we understand that and we see that more clearly when they're 8 and 10 years old and we look back in time. But somehow when they're in their 30s and they're, they're buying into lies and they're, they're believing lies and they're, they're dumbing down the scriptures or they're completely ignoring the scriptures. Because we love them, we are tempted to excuse their behavior or justify their behavior or explain away their behavior or diminish the severity of their behavior because we love them. Well, I know they don't really go to church, but they love God in their own way. No, they don't. No, they don't. And that doesn't mean that you don't love them to admit that. In fact, it means you love God first and you love them second and you're trying to keep that priority straight in your mind. 
They will never get better with you justifying their actions. They will never get better by explaining away their actions. Well, Brother Park, you don't understand. They got hurt real bad in church several years ago. I I'm sorry for that. I truly am sorry for that. We could sit down. You could tell me the story. I'd probably weep with you about that. Go back to verse number 21 of chapter 8. For the hurt of the daughter of my people and my hurt, I am sorry for the hurt that your kids have experienced, that your loved ones has experienced. I am truly, genuinely sorry for that. But that's not God's fault. It's not God's fault. And when we explain it away and when we try to justify it and we act like it's not a big deal. No, no, no. I didn't say every time you're in their presence, you light them up about everything that they're doing wrong. I didn't say that either. There's a balance there. There's a decorum there. There's a love for them that, that is there. But you cannot also justify their actions either and think somehow you're going to ever be able to make a difference in their life. Well, Brother Park, what I want most with my family is peace. I just, I just want peace. What you want most is peace or what you want most is for them to be right with God. Because to really have the first one, you're going to have to see him do the second one. They'll never have peace. They'll never have contentment with you in a relationship as long as you're serving God if they're not. It will always be a chasm. There will always be this distinction between you that cannot just be overcome or ignored. The nation of Israel or Judah had begun believing lies and had, had begun following lies. And Jeremiah goes, I know they're, they're deceitful. I, I know that they, that they believe the wrong thing. I, I know that, they, that, they, that they've done, uh, they, they've bought into the, the stuff that's being sold. But verse number six is pretty clear. It says, through deceit, they refuse to know me, saith the Lord. And the reality of it is anyone who has walked away from God has done so because they refuse to know him. Let me repeat that tonight. Anyone who has walked away from God has done so because they refuse to know him. Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's constantly, all that will come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. God has never rejected anyone. You go, well, there were some hypocrites in the church that, that, that really hurt them. Then, 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 then try to, to point them to people that aren't hypocrites and, and move forward. Don't justify their actions either. Lies like, well, they were born that way. They love each other, so that's okay. At least they're not fill in the blank. They have a lot of, they've had a lot of bad things happen to them. What they're doing, Pastor, is not that, that, that bad. They're, they're, they're good boys. They're, they're, they're good kids. But I would remind you again tonight, if your kids or the people that you love are never confronted with the truth, they will never get it right. They're never confronted with the truth. They will never get it right. Lastly tonight, we're, we're doing well. Apparently, Brother Copes and Brother Gaddis preach a little bit longer than I do. This seems like a good place to just stop and take a drink of water. Sometimes pastors are thirsty. Sometimes they're trying to figure out the next statement. The fourth temptation we see in our text tonight. God is unfair. God is unfair. Verse number nine. Jeremiah and God are just having this conversation. Verse nine. Shall I not visit them for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? Because you see, if we start believing that their condition isn't that bad, 
then we have to start believing that God is unjust in how he's punishing them or chasing them or dealing with them. No, God just told this to Jeremiah. Shall I not visit them for these things? Jeremiah, what kind of parent would I be? What kind of God would I be if I just let them get away with this? If I, if I didn't deal with this? If I, didn't, if I didn't jump in and intercede? We've probably all been at Walmart. You're standing at the checkout line and there's, there's some child that, that wants something and asks something from mom. I want this, I want this. And mom says no. And the child just starts screaming and, and drops down on the ground and is flailing around. And in my mind, I'm going, I can help you with that. Like I can... I, my wife, my wife sometimes will hold my hand and she goes, it's not worth going to jail. It's not worth going to jail. You know, the truth is we look at the child and we think, man, that child's got problems. But the reality is the problem's with the parent. The problem's with the parent. We understand that when it's someone else's child at Walmart. Do we understand that when it's our child with God? the park. I just don't understand why, why God let my, my son-in-law get, get laid off. I, I don't understand why, why bad things are happening in their home. I don't, I don't understand. Now, I'm not God. I don't, I don't know if that is God's judgment or not, but I know this. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And the prodigal did not come back until his life in the far country fell apart. No, no, while, while he was partying and while he was living it up, there was no need in his mind to come back home. It was when he was eating, when he would fade and filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. They decided, I know what I'll do. I will arise. How many hired servants of my fathers uh, have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and come back. And it was, the, it was the severity of God. It was the judgment of God. It was the wooing of God. It was the working of God in his life that made him decide to come back. But tonight I can tell you as God begins to deal with people that we love and God begins to judge the people that we love, if we're not careful, we can look and go, God, was that really necessary? God, I, 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 I love them. I believe this is particularly true when you're a grandparent. I'm not a grandparent yet. My wife and I were joking the other day about, about children and, and, I, and about having one more. And I'm like, oh, no, babe. I think we're much closer to grandkids than we are having kids. I think. Sorry, personal conversation. Anyhow. You know that I realized with my children, my dad's a whole lot nicer with my kids than he was with me. Like, I got spanked on a regular basis. Like, I mean, there was like, my dad didn't have a, 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 you know, one of the fancy electronic watches, but if he did, it would like, would have been set to go off like every other day at two o'clock, oh, two o'clock, park, spanking time. <laughs> just time for your regular beating. What'd I do? I don't know, but let's be honest, you probably did something, so let's just do it. And with my kids, he's totally different. He's like, well, kids will be kids. <laughs> They drop, they drop Mountain Dew all over your carpet in the living room, in the fancy living room where mom says we don't take beverages. Well, kids will be kids. Kids will be kids. I still have scars from that. <laughs> what happened? They got a little older. And they, 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 they love the grandkids. And, and, and that's why grandparents sometimes can be horrible parents. Because they only see the good and they... And so I'm like, well, I'll deal with this, Dad, and I deal with it. And then Dad comes back to me, and he's like, you know, son, you were a little harsh on them. 
a little harsh. There was no blood. There were no tears. There, no one's calling 911. It's completely different from how you dealt with me. What? They've softened over the years. It's amazing how we can begin to do that with God. God, why are you judging them so harshly? Why are you, why are you dealing with them like that? Or maybe, quite honest, you're on the other end of the spectrum. You're going, God, why don't you deal with them? Why don't you beat the fire out of them? Why, why don't you get after them? It may be that they are not one of his children, truly. We ought to pray for their salvation. But I'd also remind you that God's been pretty patient with you. So we had a man in our church that we... Uh, uh, Put a, we weren't door knocking during COVID. We were just putting flyers on doors and he got a flyer and he came to our church and he came to our church because his daughter's got all kinds of problems. His daughter, by the way, still is not saved. She's over at YouthCon tonight. So I'm, maybe, maybe tonight would be the night that she'd be saved. And, and so he, he began coming to church last August and came off and on from August to December. Then beginning in about January, he came every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night and probably about half the Sunday nights from January to June. And every service would raise his hand that he wasn't saved. And we would meet and have coffee and, 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 and talk and, and, and go through the plan of salvation. And, and he would agree and agree and agree and agree. And we'd get right down to the end. He's like, no, not yet. No, not yet. I, I, he goes, I, I can't put, he, he had been an atheist before he started coming to our church. And then it was fun watching him. He's like, okay, I believe that there's a God now, but I'm not sure about this Jesus person. Okay, I believe the Jesus person. I believe he really was the son of God. Uh, okay, but I, I'm not sure about this eternal life thing. Okay, I believe in Jesus. I believe in eternal life. But you're saying I have to put all my faith just in him. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. He's like, I don't know him that well. That's what he said. I don't know him that well. And so I'm praying one day and I'm like, his name is Ben. I'm praying one day for Ben. And I'm like, God, would you just deal with Ben? I mean, what, a, what, what is his problem? What is his deal? How long is this going to take? And God goes, well, how long did it take you? What do you mean, how long did it take me? Well, you're a preacher's kid. You're in a preacher's home. You're Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. How long did it take you? Well, I got saved when I was 14. So it took you 14 years of hearing the gospel every week, four or five times a week. Yeah, you're not the sharpest tool in the shed either. God has very blunt conversations with me. So if God gave me grace for that long, I shouldn't complain that God's given him grace for that long. By the way, the other side of the story is he got saved in July. He got baptized two weeks ago. It's awesome. It was so fun. He went out and bought all new clothes for his daughter to go to, to go to youth camp this summer, then come on this trip. And, and uh, he's praying for her to get saved. And, and just been exciting, just been exciting stuff. We're tempted to weep over that which cannot be changed, to just run away, to believe the lies, or maybe even to believe that God's been unfair. He hasn't been. This is the temptation of the faithful. It's not the temptation of those who probably don't come to church on Wednesday night. It's the temptation to those who tithe and read their Bibles and go on visitation and try to live right and try to do right. It's, it's an ever-present thing. But it's a huge temptation. Because how you respond, listen, how you respond to the temptation, we're not going to take the time to, 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 to preach the rest of the book of Jeremiah. How you respond to the temptation is going to dictate two primary things. Number one, it's going to dictate your personal walk with God. Your personal walk with God. 
It's going to be hard to be joyful moving forward if all you are is heartbroken over the past. It's going to be hard to be joyful moving forward if all you are is heartbroken over the past. It's going to be hard to, 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 to move forward and, and, and have confidence in God when deep down in your heart you're not sure that he's treated your family right, that he's treated the, that, that co-worker right. It's going to have a tremendous impact on your ability to move forward in your personal walk with God. And number two, it's going to have a huge impact on the people that you love and want to see come back and serve God. Why is that? Well, because if you handle the temptation wrong to just run away from him, well, who, who, who's, who's ever going to tell him? Who, who, who's ever going to be a witness around him? Who, who's ever going to live that, that example around him? It's going to have a huge impact on how you witness them because if you feel like God has been unfair and somehow they're right and he's wrong, you'll never be the witness to them that God wants you to be. So tonight, it is not, it is just like everything else. There is no temptation taken you, but such is his common demand. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. I am tempted to sin in some area. That's a common temptation. It's not unique to me. It is common to every man. The Bible says, but God is faithful, who will make a way. He will make a way that we can, we can escape that temptation, that we can, we can move on in our service for God without yielding and succumbing to that temptation. And tonight, listen, it may sound silly, but you give in to the temptations we talked about tonight. It can be just as devastating to your Christian life as if you did give in to robbing the bank or going and drinking the alcohol or adultery or any of the other things. Why? Because any sin is capable of removing our heart from God and drawing us away into the world. I so, I so, I so want to be the pastor of Calvary Baptist Temple when some prodigals that I've been praying for come back in through the door. When some prodigals that I've been witnessing to come back in through the door. When some of the kids of some of the people that I love most in this world walk back through that door. I want to be there. Jeremiah got it right. He was tempted, but he didn't give in to the temptation. And he keeps preaching and he keeps struggling because he's a human, but he keeps preaching. He stays faithful and preaches for 40 years. Why? Because there is no temptation taking you, but such is his common demand. You don't have to yield to the temptation. And your family, your family desperately needs you to stand strong and keep serving regardless of how you feel. They need you. God wants you. Stay faithful. Heads bowed tonight. Lord, I thank you tonight that you love us. Thank you tonight that you care. Lord, for every one of our kids that's gone astray, for every one of our family members that have rejected you, you are more heartbroken about that than we are. You are, you are more concerned about that than we are. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen your people tonight, your faithful people, the ones that, Lord, they're here every week. They, they go on visitation. They, they care. They're, they're, they're heartbroken. May they draw strength tonight. 
to not give in to, to the temptations and not to not yield. Lord, help them tonight to respond in a way that would be pleasing to you, that would increase their relationship with you, and give them the very best opportunity to be a witness and a testimony to the folks that they and you love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We stand tonight. Hymn number 494. Wherever he leads, I'll go. The altars are open. Your pews are open. If God has spoken to your heart tonight, you do what God would have you to do.